invites you to take your Bibles with me if you have them. If you're new with us and you don't have a Bible, it'll be behind me on the screens, but I would invite you to turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and as you see, we'll be reading in verses 27 and 28 as we continue in this series on the Reformation and actually bring it to a close today. Um, and uh, just if you feel a desire after hearing of God's word, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, which I would invite you to respond with. And that is if you desire to hear from God in this moment to put away all distractions of this afternoon and everything else and to hear the very word of God this morning. So let's read together in John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Oh God, that is our prayer this morning. God, I pray that we, we would glorify your name this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I forgot. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Samuel Beckett, a playwright, wrote a very famous 30-second play. It's called Breath. And this play has no characters, it has no dialogue, it has no monologue, it's just no people involved in it at all. What it is, is for 30 seconds, a dark theater, and then there is the sound of a human inhale, followed by a baby's cry. And over the next 30 seconds, progressively, the stage is lit to reveal piles of trash littered throughout the entire stage. And then you hear one more breath, this time an exhale, and the stage goes black. What is the playwright trying to say in this? Well, he's saying that life is short. We are here for one moment and we're gone the next. And that is a biblical thing. Life is short. We're here for a vapor. But what is not biblical is he's saying that everything else in between, from cradle to the grave, is absolutely worthless. It's all trash. It has no meaning. If you don't know your purpose in life, if you don't know why the world exists and what the plan is for the world, life can and does feel very meaningless. But these feelings that come to us, the scriptures say, are actually from God. Because when we have these feelings of what is life all about, why am I here, those are feelings that are implanted in our hearts from God to contemplate why we exist and what this life is all about. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says he has put eternity into the hearts of men to make us think about and contemplate the shortness of our life and why we are here. As we continue in this Reformation series and bring it to a close, we see that the Reformers knew very well what their purpose was. And they found that from the Word of God as they passionately pursued this purpose. 
many actually losing their lives for their belief in the scripture alone that they believed all people should have and be able to have access to in their own language. They believed the scriptures taught that salvation is offered by grace alone as a gift to be received by faith in Christ alone. And if all these things are true, and the, the fifth sola that we're looking at today is sola deo gloria. If all these things are accurate, then we can't help but cry with the reformers, to God alone be the glory. Luther even saying himself, resolve that man should live to the glory of God. My aim, my resolution is to put my life in such a way that God alone gets the glory. Glory. It's easy to describe, isn't it? A little harder to define. I was on a run the other day, and I realized by saying that I became one of those people that talks about their exercise. Next thing you know, I'll be posting on Facebook all my runs. Uh, but I was on a run the other day, and I was running past a pond, and the steam was coming off of it. The sun was right above it, and my heart just said, glory, that's a glorious thing. Many of you were posting and showing this double rainbow that was in the metro over the last week. And I'm not quite sure I didn't hear much about it, but I think there was an eclipse last week too, right? <laughs> and in this eclipse, everybody, those who saw it were, wow, this is amazing. This is a glorious thing. Things that we give glory to, someone who writes a magnificent piece of music, and we applaud it afterwards and say, that was glorious. Or when Tom Brady comes back in the second half of the Super Bowl and the largest comeback ever, you say, he's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. We know what glory is, because we've experienced it, we've seen it. But how can it be defined? Well, the Old Testament defines glory as literally speaking of fatness. So if your husband is struggling, you could say with his weight, you could say, you are very glorious, honey. <laughs> but it carries this idea of being weighty or heavy. It means that you have great significance and value. So we can define the glory of God then is his weight and his supremacy over everything. So when the scriptures tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God, they are shouting through a megaphone to us that God is real, that he is the creator, and that he exists, and that he is glorious, and he desires us to worship him. And so sola de gloria is not something that originated with the reformers. It originated with scripture because all the scripture points to the glory of God from beginning to middle to part middle to part end all the way through from creation all the way to new creation. God is glorified. All the scriptures say sola de gloria. And for us this morning to truly understand our purpose and meaning in this life, what are we here for we need to understand God's glory. And secondly, we're going to need to understand how we're designed. And thirdly, as his creations, creations in a fallen world are challenge. So first of all, God's goal is his glory. That's why he says in Isaiah chapter 48, for my own sake, for my sake, says it twice, I do it. 
For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. I am the Lord, Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord. I am above all the relational God. That is my name. My glory I give to no other for my for nor my praise to carved idols. So God says, listen, I am supreme over everything. No one's going to try to share my glory because when you try to share my glory, it's not yours and you're actually robbing me of my glory. I will not allow myself to share my glory with anyone. Holy, 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 the earth is full of his glory. God is worthy and that's his goal is that everyone knows it. We can't add to his glory. By us worshiping him, we don't add or make God glorious, but we have the opportunity, what the psalmist says, come magnify the Lord with me, to magnify his glory, to make it appear bigger in our lives, to make it appear bigger that God's greatness on display to the world around us. A few years back, I had the opportunity to walk the Brooklyn Bridge in New York, and I knew this was happening. And I read a book that was, I believe it was like 700 pages about the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge. It was a glorious book, very detailed. And I read about all the details, all the, the uh, conspiracies that were going into the building of the bridge, how many people died while they were building it, everything that went into this so that when I walked it, I believe that I was experiencing the glory of the bridge more than some others that were on the bridge because of what I knew about it, because of how much study I had done of it. Now, it didn't make the bridge any bigger when I went on it, but in my mind and in my soul, I could feel it much differently than perhaps others who were just walking to work that day. See, we can't make God more glorious, but as we draw near to him, he becomes bigger in our lives as we magnify him. Now, it may sound selfish at the beginning here to say that God desires his own glory, that that is what he is pursuing. But I'll submit to you this morning that it is the most loving thing that God can do for humanity to pursue his own glory. The most loving thing that God can do for humanity is to pursue his own glory. Jesus, is, Jesus knew this, and his desire while he was on earth and still is to bring glory to God. Look at verse 27 again. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven, I've glorified it, I will glorify it again. We see that Jesus' desire was to glorify God the Father. He is on the brink of his most horrific time of his life. The cross is just one week away, even less than that. And this isn't in the garden that he just starts thinking about the cross. This is his whole life he's thinking about what he will experience in his passion and the atonement. And it's heavy on his heart and he's talking to God and he says, oh, is there any way that this could pass? But then he stops and says, but this is the very reason that I've come. Have you ever done something like that where you're like, oh, if I could just get out of this and then you feel your soul going, no, 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 I'm supposed to do this. I have a friend who's a pastor, his name's Alan, and he was telling me about a particular hardship in his church, and he's like, I don't know, sometimes it was even worth it. And then three seconds later, he's like, I'm called to this. 
And he's just pumped and excited. He said, this is why I'm here. Jesus says, this is exactly why I'm here. And with this surety of his mission and his call, he shouts out immediately, God, glorify your name. On the brink of Jesus' most horrific hour, his concern is not about his own glory, but that God the Father would be glorified. Jesus desires to give God glory because he's worthy of it. But even more, he knows it's the greatest thing that God could ever do for humanity. Because secondly, our design is for God's glory. Our design is for God's glory. Hey, I love biscuits and gravy. Anyone else out there? So I used to order biscuits and gravy as a kid a lot. And uh, whenever we would do it, it was at Bob Evans. And it was like after a Sunday church, and there'd be like this huge table, and I'd be sitting down at the end with the kids. And I would order it, and I would love it. And I remember moving to Iowa and going with a family to Cracker Barrel. And I thought, well, I'm ordering the biscuits and gravy. And I ordered it, and I sat down, and I was with a family that wasn't my own. And the mom looks over at me when I began to eat, and she goes, are you serious? It's like, what? It's like, that is not how you eat biscuits and gravy. Well, because what I was doing, no one taught me. I thought that you just broke off the biscuit and then dipped it in the gravy like a chip. (laughs) And I always wondered why I had so much gravy left afterwards. I mean, they they should give me some more biscuits. And so she says, here, let me show you. And she opens it up and breaks it and then pours all the gravy out over the biscuits. And I was like, (laughs) that makes sense. See, I had experienced biscuits and gravy, but I had never experienced them to the fullest, (laughs) the way they were meant to be. I probably gained 50 pounds over the course of that next year. (laughs) So many of us, though, we're living in this life just experiencing it. Yeah, we're, we're a part of it, but we're not living to the fullest the way that we were designed to live. And we think that we're understanding it, but just we, we, there's something greater. Because when we don't live according to the way that we were designed, we're just going through life. The scriptures are very clear as to what our design is and why we were made. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, this is God talking, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The Westminster Confession, the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. No, you were not made to live a meaningless life. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. See, this is why God pursuing his own glory is the most loving thing that he could do for humanity. Because love is not giving someone what they want, but giving them what they need. And God knows, as Augustine says, that our hearts are restless because we're made for God. They are, our hearts are restless until we rest in God. So if God shows us himself and gets glory the way that we're designed, he's showing us the proper way to live according to the way that we were made. 
So John Piper asked the question, is seeking happiness and glorifying God at odds with each other? And his conclusion from the scripture is that seeking happiness and glorifying God are one in the same. They are not at odds, but the way that we have joy and fulfillment is by enjoying God. That's why he says the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Because the more that we enjoy God, we live the way that we're designed, the more glory that he receives. But this is not the natural way that man was made. We were made for God's glory, but because of our choice to sin, we're not born naturally wanting to live for someone else the way that we were designed. Right? That's why Romans chapter 1 tells us that, speaking of humanity, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. So since the fall of man, when sin entered the world, our desire is not to want to live for God's glory, but to live for our own glory, or to live for the stuff of this world, the creation, rather than the creator. So everyone, although we're supposed to be living like this, when we're born, naturally we're living like this, me, what I want to do and what I desire to do. And the scriptures tell us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. So pursuing our own glory, which is sin, separates us from God's glory. But God gives us an, an amazing remedy And in doing so, he puts his greatest glory on display, as we see in verse 23. We'll read uh, that together. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So up until this time, Jesus was saying, my hour has not yet come, but here it is, and is about to be glorified. Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So he's using a farming terminology they all would have been familiar with. In order for a grain to produce fruit, it has to first die. So he's saying, in order for you guys to be restored and for me to be glorified, I first must die. Verse 27, he says, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said, it, is a thunder, it, is thund- it has thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And then I will be, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus says, I am going to be most highly glorified by my death. And so when he says, Father, glorify your name, the Father actually responds to him. Isn't that amazing? He, and people think, well, that was thunder. Some kind of angel just spoke. And Jesus says, no, that was God. And God says, I have glorified it through your life through the way that you have lived, and I am going to glorify my name again through your death and resurrection. And then Jesus explains that his death accomplishes bringing judgment upon those who don't believe, the casting out of Satan, and bringing all who would believe into his kingdom. So this passage shows us that God is most highly glorified through the suffering of his son. 
Why? Because God is responsible for all the work that is done in salvation. And as we've been talking about Roman Catholic theology in this Reformation series, if Roman Catholic theology is correct, then God does not alone get the glory in salvation. Because as we've seen, man works and cooperates along with God to be justified or be made right with him. Well, that goes against scripture, right? Not by works we have been saved so that no one can boast, can brag about it, right? God already says, I'm not sharing my glory with anybody, and I'm especially not going to share my glory with you in salvation. So this is why Paul speaks of the cross being of first importance. That's why he says, I want nothing among you but to talk about Jesus Christ crucified. God displays throughout all of scripture his glory and at the center is the messiah hanging on a cross bloody bringing all people to himself who would believe so jesus god pursues us before we even know him and then he awakens our heart through the holy spirit to receive uh, by faith the truth of his gospel so that he alone gets the glory so the cross doesn't scream just about our worth but screams about the worth of god himself all people groups are brought to God if they believe in faith. There's no superior race, as our country has been saying. All of us stand before God equally, and through faith we all come to know Christ, and this has been his goal to bring all tribes and tongues and nations to himself. So when we tell people, and when we counsel people who are struggling, we don't go and tell them, oh, you're just so valuable, you need to look inwardly. That's where the answers are found. Instead, we say, God is so valuable. You need to look to him because we are doing a disservice to the individual if we make it all about them. Instead, we need a bigger picture of God. One has said, that's like taking someone to the Alps, building up how glorious it is, and then when you get there, locking them in a room full of mirrors. That's what happens if we point to ourselves and think that we are the answer when we really need to point to Jesus, him on a cross and his death and resurrection to find the answer. That's why we were designed to not make much of us, but to make much of God. So God's goal is his glory. We're designed for his glory and last our challenge to live for his greater glory. Verse 42 and 43 Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved, listen to this, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. If you offer a child, a small child, the choice between a nickel and a dime, which one do you think they're going to take? The nickel. Because it's bigger, right? They don't think that it's more valuable. They don't understand that the dime is more valuable than the nickel. They just see the bigger thing. They don't understand that it's more glorious. It has more value. And all of us are left with this very same choice every single day. There is a glory that comes from man. But our choice is to, are we going to choose the more valuable glory that comes from God? That was the choice that they had in this passage. They either could confess Jesus and be kicked out of the synagogue, 
or say, no, nah, that's okay. I like what I have being able to be a part of society because if you were t- kicked out of the synagogue, you weren't able to trade in the marketplace anymore. You had to live life as an outsider. You were cut off from the community. And these people were saying, I like what Jesus is saying, but I enjoy the comforts and the glory from man so much more. And this is the challenge that every single one of us is faced with. Will I choose the greater glory, the lasting glory that comes from God? We don't face this very same choice in our Midwest society. We're not cut off from people. We don't lose our jobs, at least not right now, if we choose to follow Christ. But we have this same glory hunger and thinking that it's found inside of us. Did you know that there's an Austin-based company that if you pay $3,000, you can go out on a night with your friends and be followed by a paparazzi that will like follow you and they give you an entourage to follow you around and they take pictures of you eating out and having a great time and at the end they give you a magazine of all the fun times with descriptions of everything that you did with your friends. Just 3,000 bucks, that's not too bad. You know, we can look at that and we can scoff at that. Oh my, that's ridiculous. But yet there's this same hunger and burning inside every one of us. We wouldn't pay 3,000 bucks, but that's so many of us is why we live. I mean, you think about it. Why are some of you so overcommitted and so busy? Because you don't want people to think you're not a hard worker. Why are you not able to say no? Why is it you have so much stress at work because you, have, you want approval from your boss? Why is it that when you come to church, you feel like you have to act like you have it all together because you desire approval from man? You don't want to say, my life is a mess. Or then I'm just kind of mediocre right now. I'm not even doing it. It's just, everything's great, man. Or within your peer group, always trying to one-up the next person. We have this glory. We have this desire that comes from man. And even our most sacred moments, things that we're doing for God, We can do it with one eye on God and one eye on man. We do it so subtly too, right? Post something on a social media site that says, uh, pray for me as I share the gospel with my neighbor. Right, that sounds really good, but you know what you're really doing. You say, I want people to know that I'm an active Christian. Not everybody, but some of you, you know, in your most glorious moments or you're working in the nursery, I want someone to say, wow, you work in the nursery. You work with students. Man, you, you're, you're doing well, my friend. Even in the act of preaching now, what a battle it is every single week for someone who's communicating God's word to not focus in and think about, man, so, many, so much glory could come from this. We're sick. We're fallen. We're sinful. It's even why Tom Brady, who we think about if I could just have the next thing, all these accomplishments, if I could accumulate more stuff. Tom Brady now, years ago on 60 Minutes, asking, so are you, are you satisfied now? Are you fulfilled after winning all these Super Bowls? And he says, man, there's got to be more than this. J.D. Greer tells us that we really, for our, our, our glory issues, are really a worship issue. Is that we worship the praise that comes from man. We've worshiped our way into living for the glory that comes from this world. And he says, you worship your way into this problem, you have to continually worship your way out. You have to find a superior joy and satisfaction that not becomes beholding the face of man, but beholding the face of God. 
That's why we're told in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 3.18, we with all unveiled faces beholding the what? Glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So what's the key to not having a glory that comes from man and desiring Christ is beholding God, Jesus' face. And as you worship him, you look into him, you desire him, he conforms you to himself. He makes you more and more like him and transforms you day by day as you pursue him and you worship him. But this is such a positive thing too that we actually have the opportunity through the word of God to be told how to live sola deo gloria, to the glory of God alone, how we are designed. That's why Paul says, so whether you eat, whatever you drink, or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Listen, Jesus has given you an opportunity after being reconciled to him to live exactly how you were created to be. He has given you the opportunity to live, to not see life as that playwright did, as everything is just trash, it's meaningless, but to have a life where you say, this life has meaning, it has purpose, it has value, and it's not in glory to me, but giving Christ the, the worthy glory that he deserves, and my joy is produced in my life as I do so. So we work to the glory of God. You realize anything that you do that's not sinful can be given can be to the glory of God. Your work, you thank God for the job he's given to you and the abilities he's given to you. You know, Bach, the great composer, signed everything DSDG, sola de gloria. That great gifted man knew that his gifts did not come from him. So if you're eating, you give God for the f- glory for the food you're eating. If you're doing something recreational and you're participating in sports, you give God the glory for the way that he's designed you and able to to participate in those things. In your relationships, you give God the glory. In your sexuality, you give God the glory. In your money, in your rest, in everything that you do, in your housework, it's not a waste. If you do it for the glory of God, whatever you do, do it for him. That's what you're made for. That's how God has designed you. And it's to give us hope. You know, some, so many of you are going through some very hard trials right now. Sufferings. Wayward children, wayward spouse, a loss of a job, wondering what's next. These trials are actually producing in us a greater weight of glory. That's what Romans tells us. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth compared, comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So what is that saying? Your sufferings now and living for God's glory are preparing you to one day when God will glorify himself by glorifying you, making you perfect, and you will be crushed by the weight of God's glory, but in a really good way. And you'll say, this is what I was made for. This is everything in this life that was, seemed so temporal and it was worth it compared to experiencing the glory that comes from God for all eternity. So will you be there to experience God's glory? As we've looked at these five solas, the anchors of our faith that tell us that salvation comes through grace, that there's nothing we can do to earn it, that we have to place our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, that he died for us in our place, 
and he rose again. If that's true of your life, or if it's not true, we'd love to talk to you this morning about how it can be. And for us, we get to live lives, those of us who are Christians, to the glory of God. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you desire your own glory because you're worthy of it. You don't share your glory with anybody. God, there's nothing that we can take from your glory even though we might think that we can try. We can't. You alone deserve it and it's for our good and it's for our joy. The cross displays the very blazing center of your glory as many have said. It puts your glory on full display that God became a man, lived a perfect life, died as a substitute for sinners. That's all of us. Bearing God's anger over sin so that we don't have to, so that if we believe in Jesus through faith, our punishment is gone because he took it for us. Oh God, why wouldn't we want to live? Sola de gloria, to the glory of God. Our prayer should be flowing out of our hearts. Father, glorify your name. That was Jesus' prayer. It should be the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.